Welcome to Unthine You, brought to you by Maybelline New York, where we are normalizing the conversation around anxiety, depression, and mental health. Now here's your host, Chrissy Rutherford. Hello and welcome to I'm Fine You, presented by Maybelline New York. Maybelline's Brave Together initiative is dedicated to breaking the stigma around anxiety and depression while addressing challenges and providing resources to those in need. Hi, I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and on this podcast, we're channeling this mission into real-life conversations to help normalize the topic of mental health and provide tangible resources and guidance for anyone who needs a mental health boost. To provide mental health resources, Maybelline New York will make a monetary donation to mental health organizations in conjunction with each episode. Today, I am joined by Dr. Sasha Hamdani, psychiatrist at Psychiatry Associates of Kansas City, but you might know her as the Psych Doctor MD on Instagram. She joins us today to talk about ADHD. All right, welcome, Dr. Hamdani. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. I'm really excited to talk to you today because I don't know very much about ADHD. So I'm like very excited to dive deeper in that. Yeah, girl, I got you. (laughs) So you are a psychiatrist at Psychiatry Associates of Kansas City. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you do day to day? Yeah. So psychiatrist, and this is just clarification because I get this question all the time. Like what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? Give it to us. So a psychiatrist is someone who has gone through medical school and they've gone through training for a psychiatry residency. So we really focus on just the pharmacology and like the medication side of psychiatric illness, but also do a lot of therapy and things like that as well. So on a day-to-day basis, I am seeing outpatients and I just have brief interactions with them talking about how their medications are going or Mm -hmm. establishing care and trying to figure out a game plan moving forward. And a lot of those patients have ADHD. Yeah. Tell me what inspired you to get into the medical field, specifically psychiatry. Like, Did you always (laughs) know you wanted to do this? my journey has been kind of weird. So yeah. So my mom is a pediatrician okay, and is like, I mean, just legitimately the happiest person in the universe. Like <laughs> she's had one job since she got out of training and this is it. And she's still be, she's still a pediatrician in our hometown and, and loves every single second of it. So I was like, okay, that's exactly what I want to do. And I just want to work with my mom. So Aww. I went through my entire. That's really sweet. <laughs> if, if you knew my mom, you'd be like, "Oh, I get it. <laughs> she's she's really cute." So I I went through medical school, and I knew I wanted to do pediatrics. And then you know, as I was getting closer to getting ready to apply for residency, the very last thing I could do in pediatrics was a child psych rotation. And I also happened to be in Austin, where I wanted to be for South by Southwest anyway. So I'm like, "Oh, perfect." <laughs> So I went down there and when I got down there, I'm like, oh, turns out I love this. This is the part of psychiatry. And this is the part of pediatrics that I was really liking. I like the patient's story. I like the interaction. I like seeing someone through their formative years. I loved all of that. So then I switched from pediatrics into psychiatry. And then I, I just ended up really, really liking adult psychiatry as well as child psychiatry and, and then really just kind of niche down into 
ADHD. Although I really like, I, I don't know. I like everything. I like, I like all of psychiatry. I have the best job in the world. I mean, I'm kind of jealous. I'm very interested <laughs> in psychology and, I mean, I spent my, most of my career working in fashion, but like on the side, uh, I love to read about psychology and I'm an anxiety sufferer. So obviously like sure. it's close to home. So yeah, I like to educate myself on the side. Yeah. Well, I'm jealous of your job. I mean, it sounds fully <laughs> awesome. I'm like one day, awesome. I'm like one day, I think maybe I would like to go back to school and get a psych degree. We'll see. Curl, do it. Yeah. Do it. I'll help you. Do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It'll be great. So you're frequently referred to as the ADHD doctor on social media. Can you explain what exactly is ADHD? What does it look like? Because it can kind of vary depending yeah. on person, right? Absolutely. So that's such a good question. ADHD is a neurobiological disorder that starts from birth. So you have it when you're born and you grow and develop with it. And you brought up a really good point. Like, what does it look like? And Chrissy, there's no good answer. I mean, (laughs) we have, we have a template of like kind of what, what hallmarks you're looking for. And that three hallmarks we typically see, and it could be a permutation of all of those, or it could be one out of the three is inattentiveness, Mm -hmm. hyperactivity, and impulsivity. But if you're thinking about those three pretty vague hallmarks and how how it could present, it it can look pretty differently. And I think think the interesting thing and why I was so excited to talk to you today about it was I think for a long time what kind of flew under the radar for women just because it presents differently. Like everybody for a long time, I'm assuming we're around the same age. I'm I'm definitely older, but... (laughs) I don't know. So, uh, <laughs> so it, like when I was growing up, ADHD was absolutely like, this is for hyper little boys. There's no way a girl could have it. There's no way a girl who got through school could have it. And so like, as we learn more, as we develop more, as we figure out more about just ADHD in general, we're finding out more about how it presents and especially about how it presents in women. Cause I think they were skipped for a long time. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause Yeah. Just like thinking back to it, like growing up, I didn't, I wasn't close with anyone that had ADHD, but I just remember you think of it as like, oh yeah, the kids who are just super hyper. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like that. Which which is true. That like felt like the only marker for it, but obviously like psychology has really evolved so much. And now we have like so much more language. I think even for people who haven't actually studied psychology, you know, there's just a lot more language to talk about the things that people experience. Language. And I think also data points, right? Right. Because we're, we're looking at longitudinal data and people have more access to information and they have more access to like, for example, like social media, huge. I started on social media (laughs) when everybody else got into (laughs) social media, which is around you know, the pandemic. Yeah. And as you start to immerse yourself in that world, you're just like, there's this huge amount of information, diagnostic information. And and there's a lot of bad information, but there's a lot of really good information where you're like, oh, okay, this looks like me. This sounds like me. And I don't think we've had that glut of information. We certainly didn't have it when I was growing up. Yeah. So like easily available to us. Yes. Yes. So how exactly would you diagnose 
someone who's like coming to see you who has ADHD? So diagnostically, and this is like one of those things, depending on who you see, it could look really different. Like depending on how a therapist diagnoses you, depending on a psychiatrist diagnosing you, depending on a primary care physician. But from a psychiatry perspective, what we're doing is we are looking at their comprehensive picture, right? So we look at medical background. Is there anything medically that could be going on that could be playing a role in this, that could be contributing? Let's look at your medications. Let's look at everything. Then we look at psychological factors. What in your in your day-to-day life and what in your history is kind of impacting you that could present like, was there a lot of childhood trauma that's presenting? And is that what's kind of playing a role? Is there a lot of, you know, anxiety stuff that's playing a role? And that kind of bleeds into the psychiatric factors. So psychiatric stuff, we're looking at psychiatric medications. We're looking at psychiatric criteria. Like, a lot of times ADHD doesn't travel alone. Sometimes it does, but you, uh, you know, it, it can be that it's bleeding into anxiety. It's bleeding into depression. It's ble- So you're looking at all of those factors in their interplay. So it's, it's complicated as you're kind of sorting through all that information, but basically it's just this very good obtaining of history from multiple different areas and, you know, a lot of times, especially for adult patients, you're digging back into like childhood history and things like that. So you're trying to get a lot of information longitudinally. Yeah. Can it be hereditary? Yes. Okay. Huge, huge hereditary factor. It typically is passed down. Interesting. Okay. My mom has it. Okay. <laughs> you're like, don't want to yeah. call anyone out, but my mom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's my mom. <laughs> So now talk to me about the correlation between ADHD and anxiety or depression. Are these commonly linked together? Yeah. So Chrissy, one of the things, if you can't tell, I've been excited about this for like two (laughs) weeks. (laughs) So stoked about this meeting, but like, I'm excited because I feel like the, like with this podcast, you're opening up this uh, initiative to talk about things that people want to know about. People are absolutely curious and want to find not only answers, but just relatable content about their own mental health. Of course. But when, you know, talking about anxiety and depression and talking about that correlation between ADHD, I don't think a lot of people have gotten into that yet. So I'm really excited to, to break that ground and start that conversation. Some people have, but I'm excited to talk about it because yeah, there is a huge correlation and whether it's because inherently with ADHD, anxiety and depression can happen at the same time or because of ADHD being unmanaged or or, or improperly managed for so long right. that you start to see deficits in self-esteem that can lead to depression, that can lead to anxiety, inherent inability to function at the level that you think you're supposed to mm-hmm. also plays a role. And so they very commonly, when you're looking at that ADHD patient, you're also looking at those risk factors for anxiety and depression. And that's also something I love dealing with too, because I think that, you know, you've had anxiety. It's so debilitating. So being able to manage someone and give them even momentary relief from that is is so rewarding. Yes. Like, yeah, being able to like really equip someone with the tools. And I've even been experiencing that in my own personal life, because I have a niece who's 14 and she's just started struggling with anxiety. I think really, you know, born from the pandemic and being locked up and she was living actually in Hong Kong during most of lockdown and, you know, being able to like really talk her through like 
what I've been through, the things that have worked for me and, you know, explaining to her, like they might not work for you, but here's like a starting point of how you can find out like what is going to make you feel better. But like what an awesome aunt, right? I mean, the (laughs) fact that you're going through and like for a child whose brain is actively developing and growing and building those connections and transitioning into young adulthood, that's such a pivotal time to get that kind of support and have that, you know, relatable figure like, okay, this is normal. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have to deal with this on my own because that can be so isolating and scary. Right. Absolutely. It's scary for adults, but it's especially scary like for kids. Yeah, because I had my first panic attack at 13 and none of my friends were experiencing anxiety. My parents didn't really understand what was going on with me. And obviously they, you know, talked to like my school psychologist and they had recommended me going to, you know, a therapist or getting on anti-anxiety meds. So my parents like did what needed to be done. They got me to therapy and I'm so grateful because I've been in therapy a little on and off, but like since I was 13. So that's now over, I've been in therapy for over two decades and I could not imagine my life without it. And I know Truly. how, and I know how important it is to talk about these things because as I said, like when I was growing up and struggling with this, I didn't know anyone else to turn to. And so it's really important for me to be able to be an example for other people that like, you don't yeah. have to be alone. And like, we should all be having these conversations about like what it's like to struggle because all of us are struggling on some level. Oh my God. Totally. And and I think it's also really important to have that normalization of intervention, like therapy. So, and I'm saying this with a teeny bit of shame associated with it, because when I went through, so I pivoted from like pediatrics to psychiatry. So I didn't have a whole lot of psychiatry experience when I started. Mm-hmm. So when I got into my training program, I was so like, I just kind of fell into it by like, I'm so shocked they even took me on. <laughs> like That was a huge gamble <laughs> on their part, but they took me and it was the most incredible experience of my life. And I happened to get into a really amazing program where they focused really heavily on the therapy side of things too. Cause mm-hmm. in psychiatry residency, some, some programs focus a lot on the medication part and they don't really touch on the therapy and some, some go the opposite way, but this was a okay. beautiful mix. And we had to go through each of the therapeutic modules and we had to go through the therapy to learn about it. Yeah. And when I, when I walked into the program, I'm like, this is a waste of time. <laughs> like I have friends I can talk to, like, this is dumb. Right. And it, it was just like, I got into it with, from such a, a spot of, I don't know, almost like just a lack of knowledge. I I was completely ignorant about the entire process. And then when you go into it, you're just like, oh, (laughs) okay. This is a very, very specialized skill set. A therapist is using therapeutic tools that they have been trained for to help you navigate this neural space of yours and organize your own brain. And I'm like, there is literally nothing more. And since that time, since being in that in that program, I haven't strayed from therapy because I'm like, oh my God, everybody should have this. I know. This is so amazing. I know. This is such an incredible resource. And it's so sad that there's still this idea that going to therapy means like you're crazy or something's wrong. Or something's wrong with you because actually nothing has to be wrong with you to go to therapy. No. Like you can just learn tools on like how to navigate the 
insanity of like being a human. And like, also I'm like, what is better than going to someone who you pay to listen to you for an hour? (laughs) (laughs) And like anything you want to talk about. (laughs) For me, what I found so helpful in therapy, first of all, I was like, Ooh, I have some stuff. I got to work out. (laughs) But, but even, even before that, I think for me, what what has been like the like underlying current of my whole life is that I feel like I'm very science-based. I like, I need to be able to see something, prove something, yeah. do something. And for me, psychiatry and therapy seemed really nebulous. Like I can't see a scan. I can't see something. How do I know if it's oh, working? I get that. And so like, for me, I didn't understand that there were tangible mileposts that you're like, I can see progress until I actually got into it. And I was like, Oh, for me, I don't think there was anything more useful than when I sat down and I was working with a therapist and they they explained how my brain worked because I'm like, I can't see my brain. What do I, how do I know what's going on? And that has kind of carried with me throughout my practice and things like that. Because when I explain certain things going on in the brain or when I explain anxiety, when I explain depression, when I explain ADHD, when I explain all of those things, it's starting from a neural perspective. And I never would have understood the linkage between what's the anatomy of my brain, the structure of my brain and emotional context without that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like doctors also go to therapists. It's like, even though you are a psychiatrist, like you also go to therapy and like most therapists also have a therapist. Oh yeah. We all do. (laughs) We all do. I mean, you have to though, because like you're dealing with people that are like, sometimes I go through my day and I've, I've met with people and there's like such quick transitions between hearing really emotionally heavy stuff that people are going through. And for the, I like all of my patients. I really care super deeply about them and I've built connections with them over years and years and years. So then you're going through like a day where you're like, I've had 20 deep kind of interactions with these people and they've all gone through heavy stuff. And it, it, you know, you need a way to offload that safely and correctly. Absolutely. So it's important. Yeah. So going back to ADHD a bit, can you talk about common misconceptions, because I'm sure there are a million, I mean, on top of (laughs) obviously the one I already brought, brought up about like kids just being hyperactive. Yeah. I mean, that's a big one. The other ones are just like that. It, so there's a three to one kind of shift that males get diagnosed more. And I think it's stemming, not necessarily that males have ADHD more, but males get picked up more because they typically present as more of the hyperactive and combined type. Mm -hmm. So people think like, this is just for boys. Nope. Not just for boys. Girls definitely have it too. It might present a little bit differently, but, but limiting. Yeah. The other thing, oh my God. I mean, I could talk about this for 10 million years. (laughs) I'll I'll start with my most annoying ones. Yeah. So another really annoying one is that ADHD is not a big deal. Like, right. Have you heard that before? Like people are like, "Eh, everybody has ADHD. (laughs) Get out of here. And so, with ADHD, the thing that I, d- I tell people is focus issues. Everybody can't focus at times. Yeah. That's correct for whatever is happening or, or intermittent. But that period of time, if you go back and you think to that period of like inability to focus, 
and then you expand that to your entire life. Do you know how exhausting and difficult that can be? And then link that with emotional dysregulation and self-esteem issues and all this. It's so much more nuanced and complicated and chronic in nature. It's you don't get a break from it. So unless you know how to correctly manage it or you you have a good plan in place, it wears on you very quickly. So when people are just like, this isn't a big deal or everybody has it. I like, I <laughs> like nails like on a chalkboard. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's so miserable. Which segues me into my next thing is the misconception. And I don't know if it's a misconception or what it is. Cause this might not be the right place to talk about it, but I can't help myself do it. Is this whole like trope of ADHD being a superpower. I, I want to rip um, my hair out. I get it. I get what you're trying to do, but turn something into a positive. Cool, man. Do that, but like, (laughs) leave me out of it. Like, don't (laughs) call it a superpower because, like, 10 times out of 10, if you ask me, like, would you do you think the benefits outweigh the risks of ADHD? I'd be like, no, I would way rather not have ADHD. Like, way rather. So I think that when people are like, just just reframe things, think of it as a superpower, really celebrate. You should be celebrating your positives, but don't be unrealistic or ignore the deficits because people need to kind of conceptualize and understand why that's problematic and address them instead of just ignoring them and thinking that the positives are going to outweigh them because they never have for me. Right. I mean, I'm, I love to reframe things, but I'm like, in what way would someone reframe ADHD as a positive? I'm curious. I I don't know. And people are like, you can be so creative. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm creative because I can't do stuff the other way. So like there absolutely is a, like there, there can be positives that come from ADHD. That goes without saying, like there can be positives of chronic illness. There can be positives of all sorts of other things. Right. But I don't think to me, it's, it just feels very like a toxic positivity. Like I think it's just downplaying people who internally feel very vulnerable and then they're meant to feel like shame and guilt. Like, Oh, I don't feel this way. A lot of people don't feel that way. Right. Cause obviously like I, I do understand how anxiety can be a strength and, and Mm -hmm. when you reframe it as actually like it's our body's way of protecting Protecting us against like perceived threats and whatnot. And so, yeah, when you look at it that way, it kind of makes it easier to, in a sense to like make sense of your anxiety, but it doesn't, it doesn't like actually make it easier to deal with in the moment when you're have when you're feeling really anxious or when you're having a panic attack. No, no, it's only sort of when you're on the outside of it, you're like, oh, okay. I can understand. Like my body was trying to, you know, protect me, warn me, et cetera. But like in the midst of it, no. <laughs> and Chrissy, like if you're having that conversation with yourself, Good on you. Like, so excited for you. So happy that works. My beef is when people are, like, trying to tell me about it. Like, you shouldn't feel bad because ADHD is your superpower. I'm like, no. (laughs) No. Don't tell me how I feel. And don't tell me that I should be thinking that this is the best thing in the world because I struggle so much every day trying to manage it. Right. And I I think anxiety, you get that too. And depression too. Depression, like people are always trying to, not necessarily saying that it's a superpower, but like trying to reframe you into things like other people have it so much worse. Like maybe that's helpful in the moment to kind of, okay, yes, that keeps me grounded. But the immediate thing that happens is you're like, 
oh, my feelings are not valid. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And like you dig yourself deeper. Like that's so counterproductive. I agree. I just had this conversation on another episode and it's like, yeah, I'm like, I know it's cliche, but it's like, you're allowed to feel how you feel. And yeah. And yes, some people might have it worse than you, but that doesn't take away like your own experience. No, no, no. And like, I think, I think, I mean, going back to therapy, because it's the best. I think that's one of the things that it teaches you to uh, to sit within your feelings and, and start to explore them in a safe capacity. Like, what am I feeling? Is this appropriate? How should I be handling this? Because a lot of times, and I feel like with ADHD in particular, you deal with emotions and you don't really know what to do do with them? Can I express them? Is this going to make people uncomfortable? Like, so it's really nice to have this impartial party to kind of walk you through that. And so I think that it's important to be able to understand like what I'm feeling is appropriate and valid. And I I don't need to feel guilt and shame about it. And I don't need to like internalize or bottle that up because society's telling me it's not that big of a deal. Absolutely. So, yeah. so now can ADHD only be managed with medication? Girl, no, <laughs> no. I'm so happy you asked that question because I get that question all the time. And that actually leads to a lot of initial resistance of treatment. Cause people are like, I don't want to be on medication. So why would I go get diagnosed? Totally, totally valid. But I will tell you, and I'll just like break for my own little aside for experience. So I was diagnosed in fourth grade with ADHD and I would start on medication like, like right after because I was I was the hyper kid. Yeah. And so I was starting on medication, ended up doing really well, went through elementary school, went through high school. I got into med school out of high school. And it was the first time I was by myself. And at that point, I stopped taking medication because I didn't really know what it was for. And my whole world like kind of fell apart. So wow. then I just was like, did I have a stroke? What is happening to me? <laughs> like, this is miserable. And I had to, you know, my parents were like, you know, it's for ADHD. We need to like learn how to manage this. And then like the erratic nature of medical school and trying to study and learn how to be by myself. And like, I didn't even know how to eat. Like, it was just, things were nuts. And also you're like 19 and I don't want to (laughs) study. Did you have like withdrawal, like after stopping taking it or like, no, you were just like, it was just, things went crazy. (laughs) That, so I just stopped taking it and I didn't really realize it was a gradual thing. Like I would stop taking, like I forgot to take it on a couple of days over the weekend and then I wouldn't take it right. and then okay. I would forget about it. And then I'm like, oh my God, it's been like two months. I literally don't even know where my medication is. Got it. What is happening? So I didn't even recognize that that was a factor playing a role. All of a sudden I was just like, okay, I went from being the smart kid in my high school and now I'm like <laughs> solidly at the bottom. What has happened? Honestly, I'm asking people around me to problem solve because I'm like, something, something crazy is happening. So then I had to figure out and like retry medication to do things. And then the process was like, it, it was like a big difference because I, I don't know whether my life had changed or I had gotten older or my demands had changed, but I stopped being able to tolerate medications as well as I had when I was little. And it was just like miserable trying to limp through. And then when I got into residency, mm-hmm by some miracle. Um, I was finally surrounded by, you know, people who were like, okay, medication isn't going to solve this problem. And so they worked on behavioral management. And like, since then I haven't been on medication and I've just been 
dealing with things in terms of ADHD management, anxiety management, depression management, just with behavioral techniques. And not, and this isn't a PSA for being off medication. Like if you needed more power to you, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just saying that ADHD can also be managed and it shouldn't be like a barrier to like, I don't want to have medication, so I don't want to get diagnosed because you can manage it behaviorally. And in fact, it's been such a topic on social media that people, because access to care is just such a nightmare. Like people can't get to a doctor, can't get to a therapist. It's just like right. for, for anything, for anxiety, for depression, for ADHD. Completely. And so being on social media and actually like conceptualizing that, because as before I was on social media, it would be like, oh, people are coming to me. There can't be a problem. If you're coming to me, it, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Right. No, it's like so many people don't have access to care or it's out of their price range or things like that. Yeah, it's just such a mess that because of that, that's why I started kind of posting more stuff on social media. And I just I just posted about this yesterday. I launch or I am in the process of launching an app just for behavioral modification for ADHD because of people saying that there just isn't anything out there. I know. And I was going to ask you about that. (laughs) But before we go into that, can you also talk a little bit about like the positives and negatives of being medicated for ADHD? Because actually we just had a very popular TikTok creator, Victoria Paris on the show, and she suffers from ADHD. And she was actually talking about how her, her medication, I guess, like led her into an eating disorder. And sure. They're like, I think maybe it had been some other factors in there as well, but I'm like, is that common or like, can ADHD medication also like exacerbate anxiety or depression? So I'm just curious. So let's talk about ADHD medication in general. So if that's kind of the road you want to go down, a lot of people think if you're thinking about ADHD medication, you're going to get Adderall, you're going to get Ritalin, you're going to get Vyvanse, you're going to get a stimulant in some capacity. What a lot of people don't know is there are two big classes of medication for ADHD management. They're non-stimulants and stimulants. Stimulants are the ones you've heard and talked about. Non-stimulants are things like antidepressants or blood pressure medications that work in a different format to give your brain stimulation, but not in the way that a stimulant would. Okay. So it's it's for, when you're doing your initial assessment and you're evaluating someone for ADHD and thinking about potentially starting them on a medication, you're really looking at multiple risk factors. You're looking, do you have anxiety? Do you have depression? Do you have, do you have disordered eating? Could you have disordered eating? Mm-hmm. You're looking at many, many different things. What other medications are you on? And then you're making an assessment on what medication could be a good fit for you. And at the end of the day, I'd like to think that every psychiatrist is kind of on the same page with this in that we want you to be on the least amount of medication for the least amount. Maybe, maybe not every psychiatrist thinks like that, but I'd like to think that they do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Least amount of medication for the least amount of time possible. So you're looking for something. What can solve a problem A, B, C, D, E, and possibly be with one medication, maybe two medications, but not, not having to treat A has one medication, B has one medication, because then you're dealing with polypharmacy and other things interacting. So positives and negatives. So if you're looking at, and I'm assuming you're talking about positives and negatives of like stimulant medications. Yeah. 
Okay, so if you're looking at like that traditional class of medications like Adderall, Ritalin, anything else kind of in that class of medications, and a lot of people don't know where it falls into, if it's a stimulant or a non-stimulant. So stimulants are controlled medications. You have to have a prescription. uh, You have to have a prescription for all of them, but, but they're very highly regulated by the FDA because there's a high abusability potential. And that's why some of this ADHD management gets such a bad rep because people assume that you're drug seeking, mm-hmm. which is kind of unfair because people with ADHD most of the time forget to take their medication. So like <laughs> it's it's like a, a bizarre kind of juxtaposition. But, yeah. But that's one of the one of the cons. I mean, even if you're taking your medication exactly how you should be, with stimulant medications, you have an inherent tolerance. The more you mm-hmm. take them, the more you kind of need them and the higher dose you need. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be over a span of years yes. and years and years. Right. Or depending on how you metabolize, it could be a shorter period of time. So it's important to kind of understand that. And once you're kind of assessing for that, and if you're seeing as we're going through like, ooh, you're really chewing through this medication we're needing to escalate pretty quickly. That might be one of those indications like this might not be for you because you're going to max out at some point. Let's think about a non-stimulant or let's add a non-stimulant to give you better management. Other cons are that you can't stimulate a person 24 hours a day. Yeah. It's not, you can't. You'll stop eating. You'll stop sleeping. It's, just, it's not a viable solution. Yeah. So sometimes people are like, you know, it's really annoying because I get like even with the long acting, I get like six to eight hours and then I'm just like out of luck for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. So that can sometimes be a con for some people. Yeah. And then exacerbation of underlying things. So just like what you were talking about, disordered eating, Mm -hmm. anxiety, think about a stimulant. A stimulant, if you are, if you give something like Adderall, if you add, if someone is already operating at kind of an elevated level. Yeah. And then if you give someone who already has a lot of energy, something that's going to spike up their energy, they have more energy to be anxious. Like that's what happens. Yeah. And if you have, if you're giving somebody something that inherently is an appetite suppressant and they have disordered eating that can bleed into even more disordered eating. So it's really important to kind of do a complete risk stratification Mm -hmm. before you go down this road. And it's one of those things that when I'm meeting with a patient, the spiel I give them is like, these medications are tools so you can optimize your life. So you can build, so we can, we can figure out what this underlying issue is and how to manage it both with behavioral tools and with medication. So we don't want to create a bigger problem, right? So if the medication could potentially lead you into another thing, I would way rather either try a different medication or lean more on behavioral management uh, and and at least figure out a way to at least say it's disordered eating, figure out a way to control the disordered eating. So if we start that kind of medication, it's not going to be as big of a risk. Okay. So it's, it's one of those things you just have to be really cognizant. Clearly. Yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about your Instagram. You've obviously <laughs> built a very nice following for yourself. And like, how has that helped you spread your message? I guess, like, did you really start creating more content during the pandemic? Yeah. So I spent most of 2020 (laughs) making fun of TikTok. (laughs) I was just like, this is for 12 year olds. What kind of adult is on here? And then obviously I got on it and now I'm obsessed with it. Of course. So like the reason I got on it originally is because so around 2020, I was 
you know, we started doing telehealth. Mm -hmm. And so my patients would come to a telehealth visit and they would hold up their phone and they're like, I have ADHD because of this video. And the video was like, I remember the one that made me start TikTok (laughs) is, is if you sneeze multiple times in a row, you have ADHD. And I was like, for a second, I was like, is that true? <laughs> like, do I You're have like, that? Wait, what? Like, you sneeze multiple times in a row. But then I'm like, no, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I'm like, this is such a terrible source of information. Like, where are these people getting this info? And how can you just say that with with certainty? And also this person was like 12. So I was like, is this a joke? Oh boy. Um, I know, a mess. <laughs> so then I originally started getting on there to to like kind of counteract that that bad information with like some like, okay, this is information that is accurate and it's evidence-based. You're like, I'm a professional. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, kids. An adult is here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, but that's originally how it started. And then as I got on it more, I'm like, oh, there actually is really good, wonderful, accessible information. And this is really a good resource for spreading education and a lot of other professionals and providers who are looking for a way to give out, not give out, but like a way to, to educate on a larger scale are doing this. And it's, it's wonderful because this is how people are getting information. So then it kind of snowballed from there. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. And so now like just yesterday you announced that you're creating an app for people who have ADHD. So please like give us the full rundown. How did it come (laughs) about? And like, how did your audience help inform, you know, like the functionality for the app? They did all of it. So they, so this originally came about like a year ago when I was like starting out and it wasn't really big on the platform because a lot of these people on the, on the platforms, like they've seen me when I was like, I didn't have any followers at all. And I'm still not big, big, but bigger than I ever thought I would be. (laughs) And so like from the very beginning, they were like, I really wish that there was an accessible source of information because what they were having issues with, and, and I have issues with this too, is social media is awesome. It's awesome for getting short digestible bits of information, which my brain loves, (laughs) loves, <laughs> like loves that format. But then it's hard to go back and access stuff. Like I want to learn more about relationships. I want to learn more mm-hmm. about medication. I want, so because it's all over the place. Right? Yeah. So this was like, I wish there was a place where I could have all of that in the same place. And so then I was like, okay, let me, let me start learning about this. And then I was like, this is way too hard. I don't want to do any of this. But then I got, I started having conversations and then I got involved with the development team of Mm -hmm. app creators. And then it kind of built from there and it's continuing to build, but like they, the follower base are really the people as I've gone through this process, I've been asking on polls and things like, what would you like to see? What's important to you? How do you manage your symptoms? What can make this easier? Because I just want a way that you can, I don't know, that you can just manage things. And it's, it's not going to be like, I have waited for, and I've talked to some people that are in the U S I've talked to people in the UK. I've talked to people everywhere where they're like, when I realized that I had ADHD or when I start to suspect that now I'm on this like 13 month wait list. I want to start now. I want to start now and I want things to be better now because I feel like I finally understand a little bit more about my brain. So that's why, that's why they came out. Amazing. And so let's talk more about the behavioral methods for managing ADHD, like what is going to be on the app and what has worked for you and 
Yeah. So the, so the app is called Focus Genie. It's so cute. <laughs> it's really focusing and dialing down on the behavioral management side of things. So for me in particular, like when I was creating this and when I was looking at functionality in the beginning, I was like, I know how I felt when the things were completely unmanaged. When I was getting in way over my head in medical school, when I was overwhelmed every single second of every single day, and I literally could not adult at that point. Cause I'm like, I don't even know where to start. So for me, time management was a huge problem for me. I would lose track of time. I would, I, it was difficult for me to complete tasks. Right. It was difficult for me to look at a project and be like, this is the start. This is the end. I don't know the reasonable steps in between. So this has like task tracking, task breakdown, It has a timer where you can kind of break down your days into like little usable chunks where it's like, okay, I'm going to work for five minutes and then I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to work for 15 minutes and you just kind of go and build momentum from there. But then it also has, you know, you can learn from your patterns on that where they're like, okay, you've completed like 50% of tasks. Most of them are professional, but you're really slacking on like the home life stuff. So let's pick it up and like (laughs) things like that. It's gamified. So it's interesting because like, I I can't tell you, I I think I've downloaded every single ADHD app ever. Mm. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, I can't stick with them because I'm like, this is boring. (laughs) Like I hate this. I'm not. And like what I was saying before with therapy, the thing that made a difference is when I started to understand my own brain. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. This is what, so my amygdala is a little bit larger. So that means that if it's a little bit larger, it's responding a little bit more. And that may be why I'm so emotionally reactive in certain situations. That makes sense to me. So I started to create these educational modules so you can like go and be like, well, I'm super overwhelmed. What is happening right now? Yeah. Ooh, I like, I cannot deal with breaking down a task or I'm procrastinating. What is happening? And so you can go to those areas. If you're having a relationship issue, there's a relationship section. You can go and like in real time, try to understand and and just like gain a little bit of comfort that it's not just you. When will the launch? app launch? Yeah. So we're hoping for winter and I'm building up all of this stuff. But as it progresses and as it grows, there's a waiting list on the focusgenia.com that you can like click on. As it's going through and as it's going getting closer and mm-hmm. I'm rolling out more stuff, I'm going to start pulling people off of that so they can beta test it. So yeah. some people are going to get, yeah. I, I mean, that's what they suggested that I should do. I'm still learning all this, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping for winter. Right. You're like, listen, yeah. I'm just the doctor with the ideas. I don't know the logistics. Uh, and I'm, <laughs> I'm so Logistics are hard. They're asking me like, where do you want this one line on the page? I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> so it's it's been it's been like way more choices than I would ever need in a million years. But yeah. it's been it's been it's been great. That's really exciting. Yeah. How do you feel like the dialogue around mental health and ADHD? How has it changed in our society over the last few years? I think it has expanded. So I think people are talking about it more. And I think a lot of that also is due to quarantine. People are by themselves and they're like, what is my deal? What's happening? Yeah. And so they actually had time to be introspective and understand what was going on neurally. And then just like this expansion of social media, people spending more time on their phones, they're accessing information about ADHD. So we're talking about it more as a society and also with practitioners. And I think that's really important. Now that part, 
great. Mm -hmm. Downside of that is that I think that there's also been this uptick in people thinking like everybody thinks that they have ADHD and so everybody is drug seeking. And that's been a huge problem for a couple of different things. One, it's a huge deterrent to get care, right? You're like, I don't want my doctor to think I'm seeking drugs. I just want to go. That is terrible. Mm -hmm. And then number two, and this is, this is what I find um, kind of sad also is that we've seen this like huge influx of people that are like kind of capitalizing on ADHD. And I feel, and people are going to say like, you're coming out with an app, you're doing the exact same thing, but I swear to God, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But like, it is one of those things that people are, they recognize that this is such a problematic space that they are, you know, I just, I just got fed a targeted ad where it was, follow me. I'm an ADHD coach. I'm doing this intensive class for six weeks. It's for $600 and it's a six week class. And I don't have huge problem with that. But then when you look up this, this person, there's like, no background about them. There's no site you can get to. There's no, they don't have a degree in anything. So I'm like, what are you actually teaching this person? So while there is absolute benefit in lived experience, I think in order to get management in a way that is comprehensive and evidence-based and to make sure you are working towards a goal that can help you, I have always found that it's more helpful coming from a neural perspective, understanding what's happening in the brain. Yeah. And um, I think it's important to have a someone who is professional do that. Yeah, um, of course. Just because they've received the training <laughs> in that. Because I feel like it's too much of a gamble. There might be people out there who aren't professionals that are doing an awesome job, awesome job. But there's so many who aren't, <laughs> that aren't, that are just like kind of leading people astray or in, in just like, I saw another one where it was a, I think I commented about this, where it was like a bigger company. And they were like, if you're an Adderall, you should be eating sugary snacks every 30 minutes. And I was like, what? (laughs) And they were like, it'll make you happier. And I was like, no, you will for sure get diabetes. And you're going to have this huge insulin spike and then crash. And your focus is going to get worse. Like, why are people putting this on the internet? So I, I don't know. There's just, I think it's important to be judicious and careful about who you're getting information from. Absolutely. Well, I also, I feel like, you know, we're in an era right now with the internet where it's like anybody can be an expert, but obviously when it comes to mental health, you know, you really want to make sure that you are going to a reputable source for help. And even for someone like me, I create a lot of content around mental health, but it's always like me speaking from my personal experience and things that I've done. And it's like, listen, if you want to take some notes out of my experience and try it. That's great. But I'm never trying to be prescriptive. Exactly. And I think there is a place on the internet for lived experience. I think that is truly where people go and they're like, this is relatable because she looks like me and she's dealing with this stuff. There is such value in that, in those shared stories. I have problem when you move from that into a space of like, okay, this is what you should do. You should not be on medication. You should try this instead. You should, these are the steps that you need to do. And it's like, 
okay, well, I would rather someone is seeing a professional or or at least gets information from a professional so that it's not actually going to turn hurt them in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, how can someone start a respectful dialogue with a loved one who they feel is struggling? Yeah. So I think this is always a touchy topic and it's not just ADHD. It's like anxiety and it's yeah. depression. It's, it's everything. Right. And I think one of the, because believe me, I've had family members broach that comment with me where they're mm-hmm. like, you cool. <laughs> and I think what, what, what it stems from is there, I have two little bits of advice in, in that situation. Number one, I think when people take it the wrong way or when it comes out and they immediately start being defensive when they're confronted about things like that is when people start the conversation with you. So like you're doing this, this is a problem that, Mm -hmm. you know, you, 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 and pointing out stuff like that. Yeah. If you kind of take it and instead of you're doing this and this is bothering me, if you're saying stuff like, you know, I've, I've noticed that it's way harder for you to pick up after yourself or complete tests. And I know that that's difficult for you because I can see you getting frustrated. How can I help you with that? Right. That is so much more of a neutral, friendly, helpful place than this other one where it's like, okay, I'm already in the wrong. Judgmental, right? So you're already, you've gotten like all of your, you're already on high alert and you're like, okay, I need to fight at this point. So that's one of the biggest things. The other thing is just go into the conversation prepared. So a lot of times, like having this conversation, it's nice because you open the door, but you want to be able to continue that momentum because maybe the next interaction you've had, the person like started to get anxious or nervous about that conversation or a little bit embarrassed. And then they kind of shut down after that. Yeah. So what I recommend is like when you're ahead, when you're like, I want to talk to someone have resources, have backup, have data, have okay. like, well, oh, I saw this, I saw this article and I thought of you, or, mm-hmm. you know, I was looking up and one of my friends sent me this link to a therapist and she said it was awesome. So I'll just give it to you if you want it. Have, have like something in your back pocket just to give that data in that moment. You might not use it, but right. just be prepared. Got it. Amazing tips. Thank you so much, Dr. Hamdani, for being here Thank today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for, this was so fun. I know. And I feel, now I feel very educated around <laughs> ADHD and I hope our listeners do as well. I hope so too. I hope so too. All right. Thank you. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. I want to say thank you so much to Dr. Hamdani for joining us to discuss all things ADHD. We're here to provide access to mental health resources and support those who need it most. Make sure you're subscribed to I'm Fine, You. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review. Tell us what you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and this has been I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline, New York.